we have been walking through a series called Will It Float? And if you're just jumping in right now, I'm really glad that you're here today. Uh, you're going to enjoy, hopefully, this, uh, this particular one. And uh, if you have, uh, you know, kind of been thinking about this church thing, uh, we may tackle something today that's probably been a tension point for you in church world. And so I hope that this answers uh, one of your big questions. And I really believe that this is one of the things uh, that believers struggle with, that church folks struggle with, trying to determine the answer to this statement and whether or not it is true. And so what we've been doing with Will It Float is the premise of that is that there's things that church folks say that we're not sure if they actually hold water, but we say them because we've learned them or we've heard them over time or we've seen them on TV or we've heard, you know, uh, somebody has deposited that into us. And so we repeat those phrases, but we're not always sure if those things actually hold water water. And so we've been asking the question, will it float? So I've been opening each message. That's why this giant fish tank is over here with just some random uh, audience interaction fun stuff. And I've just been bringing random things and we've been trying to figure out if they float or not. So this is, um, this is me walking around in Fred Meyer just grabbing random things. And I have not tested this, so I have no idea what the answer is on some of these. Uh, so we'll have a little bit of fun together. So this is how you'll interact. I'll show you the item, and then you will give a thumbs up if you believe that it'll float, and a thumbs down if you believe that it will sink. And if you're right, we'll all think you're awesome. And if you're wrong, we'll all think you're awesome. So there's nothing at stake, right? Other than you might uh, have bragging rights with whoever's sitting next to you. So... I was trying to find some things to uh, float, and I was like, let me go to the grossest section of the store where the soy stuff is. <laughs> I've never been over there before, so it was really interesting. I was like, what is this area where it says gluten-free? <laughs> what do those words mean? Is gluten code for flavor? <laughs> so... In that area, some of you are thinking about sending me mean emails. Don't worry. I'm, you'll just be in the chain. Um, <laughs> all right. So soy milk, 50% more calcium than dairy milk. That's amazing. How many of you think soy milk floats? Thumbs up, thumbs down if you think it will sink. Again, I have no idea. So we're all in this together. All right. So soy milk, here we go. On three, ready? One, two, three. Soy milk, oh, it's fighting for it. It floats. Yes, congratulations, those of you that thought soy milk would float. I think it's just the cardboard. I don't know. It doesn't want to float. Yeah, it's trying to escape. Okay, so while I was over there, I grabbed one more thing that was simple and organic, and it was coconut milk. But this is in a can. Now, I don't know the difference between soy milk and coconut milk because none of those things will ever touch my lips. However, <laughs> okay, well, my wife may have hoodwinked me into this. All right, coconut milk. Thumbs up if you think it'll float. Thumbs down if you think it's going to sink. Again, I have no idea. We're all going to learn together here. Ready? All right, on three. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, like a rock. Like a rock. Oh, that's going to break the tank with the force that it went in there. All right. So I wandered out of that department and I headed over to where good things exist. And I was in the dairy area. And I was like, oh, a stick of butter? 
that's amazing. I have no idea if a stick of butter will float or not. So I thought, let's find out. So this is, this is Lando Lakes. This is, yeah, you, you got to know the facts, right? This is four sticks. It's made from real California milk. That's awesome. It's salted, and it says sweet cream on here, and I don't understand what else is it. All right. It's got zero carbs, so that's probably good. <laughs> All right. A stick of butter, ladies and gentlemen. Will it float? Oh, most of you think the butter will float, huh? Some of you have been cooking with butter before or something. You've tried this. All right. On three. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, butter floats. This water is going to be gross when we're done. So I was like, well, I'm over here. Let's find things I actually like. And I found this can of uh, extra creamy, dairy-whipped deliciousness. <laughs> It's never been open. It's made with real cream, not that synthetic, uh, I don't know what would not be we in here that's not cream. That's horrifying. Um, <laughs> all right. Here's my extra creamy Fred Meyer whipped cream. What do you guys think? I need some votes out there. Oh, most of you think this will float too. This is interesting. We've got a couple of dissenters though. Here we go. On three. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, man. That thing just, li <laughs> that thing just lived right at the top. That thing was no joke. All right, so on my way out, I went down my next favorite chip aisle. <laughs> now, I'm Puerto Rican, not Mexican, but we know, we know something about salsa con queso, okay? <laughs> All I know is this says, made with real cheese, awesome. <laughs> I didn't make that up. That's exactly their tagline. <laughs> made with real cheese, awesome. It is 15 ounces of salsa con queso. What do you guys think? Will it float? Will it sink? Oh, you guys have no faith in this one. You have no faith whatsoever in this one. You guys think I'm heavy on this one, huh? Oh, like a rock. Like a rock. Okay, so then I got to the checkout aisle, and I was hungry. And I was like, does a Snickers bar float? Would a Snick I think a Snickers. I don't know, right? But I was like, we can't cheat and have it in the, uh, in the wrapper. That's not fair at all. That's not fair at all. So... <laughs> Some of you just wept tears for this wasted Snicker bar. <laughs> there was like an emotional moment that happened in some of you. He's not going to waste a Snickers bar, is he? Man, that was awesome. All right, will it float? What do you guys think? Oh, uh, this is divided a little bit more. This is pretty good. All right, here we go. Last one. On three, ready? One, two, three. Oh, it sunk like a rock. It sunk like a rock. Man, next time you eat a Snickers and you feel heavy, that's why. <laughs> All right, we had some fun with Will It Float, and, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed the series. I hope it's been memorable, but, but we don't know sometimes if something floats or not. How many of you got all of those right? Anyone get every one of them right? Okay, yeah, we had a couple of you, all right. And so uh, I would not have got all of those right. I definitely, I didn't trust any of that soy stuff. <laughs> so... Today, as we kind of wrap this series, we're getting ready to launch another series next, uh, next week. Uh, we're wrapping the series of Will It Float. We're asking this question or answering this phrase that we hear all the time coming from church world, coming from uh, church people, this idea, this principle that God wants me to be happy. And I'm not sure what the answer to that is. I'm not sure how you would answer that as we approach this. Does God want us to be happy? I'm just gonna let that hang in the air for a little bit. I was trying to think about all the ways we chase happiness. I remember when I was growing up, 
we always had to have really nice things. We had, I lived in a house that kind of, my dad worked a lot, a lot, a lot. He was always an alcoholic. And so for a season, he was a workaholic, right? And, uh, and while he was in the workaholic season, we, uh, we always had to have really nice stuff. And I remember the summer that I moved out to go to Bible college, I was 17 years old. I moved out that summer. Now I didn't realize how, must, how expensive I must've been because suddenly that summer, there was enough money to buy a ton of new toys at the house. So I move out in like, July or somewhere in there, maybe August, right? By October, we had a new boat, a new motorcycle, a new camper, and a new truck to pull all that stuff around, right? (laughs) All of those things came in waves. And I remember just thinking, we didn't have that much money when I was, all I ever heard was we never had that. And there was this interesting thing that happened in my household is all of a sudden, it was like this desire to have more and more stuff took over my home. And all of these things became really, really important. I remember coming home saying, so do I get to take any of these toys out? No. <laughs> I was like, wow. And, uh, and it was crazy because I watched in my own home this shift that became very much driven about, I need all these things to be happy. Well, then something happened at work. My dad hurt his back and suddenly he couldn't ride the motorcycle or play on the boat or go camping. And all of those things went away like in less time than it took to accumulate all of them. And I remember this deep sense of unhappiness that I didn't have the, they didn't have those things anymore. And the alcoholic nature of, of his life ended up turning to other substances to begin to replace that need for happiness. Because in us, there's always this drive for happiness. Now that got into my life and my marriage when I first uh, got married. Christine and I got married after my second year of Bible college. We had high school sweethearts. We'd been dating for five and a half years. And uh, we did what everyone should do, premarital counseling. But after dating for five and a half years, we kind of walked in, I'll say I. I kind of walked into premarital counseling like, what do you got for me, right? I've, I've been dating this girl for five and a half years. I've read the book, like, come on, what do you got for me? So we went, we breezed through premarital counseling. Then we got married and we moved into our first place, a little one bedroom apartment and something crazy happened. She never went home. She was there all the time. Now this doesn't seem like a big deal, but at 19 years old, when am I supposed to play my video games if she's here all the time? She doesn't want to play a whole season of NBA Live, and I didn't want to play a whole season of NBA Live. So how am I going to get this out, right? And so we started reaching uh, some, some, some tensions. And so our solve for that tension was, we'll just go get more stuff, because then we'll be happy, and we'll be able to live the kind of life, come on now, that entertains us, and then she have enough to entertain her, I'll have enough to entertain me, we'll just have enough stuff. And so what we ended up doing, and uh, maybe I'm the only one who's crazy enough to, uh, to have done this, but remember I'm 19 and I think I know everything. We both have great jobs. We're going to Bible college, and, but we have great jobs. We're making a lot of money. So what we would do is we get paid at the beginning of the month and we would live like kings for two weeks. <laughs> like kings, right? I mean, we're talking about Anything you want, just go get it. If you want to eat out, eat out. If you want a toy, get the toy. If you want, for two weeks, at about the two-week mark every month, come on now, we would crash and burn financially. And then the second half of the month, we would fight like cats and dogs 
because we couldn't maintain and we'd have like a thing of uh, top ramen and a package of eggs to get through the whole rest of the month, right? And that was like, that was like all we had. And so this went on and on for months and months. And then we did probably the most important thing we ever did. We went to postmarital counseling, right? I'm a huge, everyone should do premarital counseling. Everyone should do postmarital counseling. I'm just saying you should talk to somebody. It helps, right? And we, we sat down with this guy who was brilliant. He was a professor of the Bible college, had a great heart. And he just let us talk for a minute and immediately just sniffed out this incredible tension that we had unreasonable expectations of what would make us happy. And because of that, we were living outside. He's like, you make more, because we had good job, like really good jobs. Like you make more than almost any college kid I've ever worked with. And your provision is adequate. Your expectation, come on now, is what has created this tension. And so just having someone else wiser look at us and go, dude, no, was so helpful <laughs> in that season. But we were chasing Happiness, we were trying to buy happiness and we ended up in counseling, <laughs> trying to buy happiness. So there's a thing in all of us. I'm just being the most transparent up here. I'm sure you have your stories of, this is the thing I think will make me happy. And you're going to sleep thinking about it and you're waking up wishing for it and you're chasing after things that you think are the things you have to have to be happy. And, and, and ended up in counseling is sometimes what ends up needing to happen for us to recalibrate. I was thinking about this the other day because we took our kids to a buffet. Now, we don't go to a buffet all the time, and the kids were really excited about it because they're like, we just take everything, right? Well, we get to the end of, we're, we're that late couple that closes down a restaurant. Come on now. Okay, we're out of the house, so we're really happy that we're out of the house, and so we're going to stay here as long as we can, right, before we go do anything else. And so <laughs> some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and some of you don't have little kids, and you're like, what do you mean? Um, <laughs> so we're closing down the restaurant, and the gal comes over to us and says, hey, they're going to start, you know, pulling the food. If you want any dessert items or whatever, you should go get them. And the kid's are like, can we get them? I'm like, yeah, go get whatever you want. So my oldest comes back, no joke, with three pieces of chocolate cake and a glass of chocolate milk. He's 10, okay? And I'm looking at my, my wife's like, I can't believe you're sharing this. <laughs> and we look at him, and I'm thinking in my head, there's no way he can eat this, but they're going to throw it all away at this point, so who cares? He'd take whatever you want, right? And so he's got these three pieces of chocolate cake, and he's just hammering it, right? Just bam, chocolate cake, all the froth. It's the worst parenting we've ever done. We're just, he's just hammering it. But I'm like, it's kind of like, it's like, eat the whole thing and get sick, and that way you don't do this again, you know? And, and that's in me a little bit. And he's just hammering it, hammering this cakes all over his face, because the restaurant's closed, and he's like, I'm going to get all this cake and shoveling it in, shoveling it in. And then he goes to take a drink of this chocolate milk. And he drinks the chocolate milk, and this is what he says. It was brilliant. He goes, I can't taste it. <laughs> There's no taste. Right? It didn't stop him, which is crazy, but he couldn't taste it. And I thought, what a metaphor for the way that we try to satiate our happiness. We want just to oh, shove it in our face and we shove, now some of you are like literal with me when I'm talking about shoving it in your face and you're like, I can literally, some of you are getting the metaphor, either way, it still works. But, but we want to shove it in our face until there's, a, like we're completely desensitized to what could have made us happy and could have been good is now of no value to us whatsoever. And I was like, Wow. I'm like, son, that will preach. <laughs> so, so I want to ask you the question, and, uh, and we're going to wrestle with it a little bit today. 
do you think God wants us to be happy? And that's a tense thing to ask because it sure seems like I don't really want to get excited about a God who doesn't want me to be happy. Yet I understand that in the pursuit of happiness, some things can get out of control. So we got to live in that tension a little bit and kind of unpackage that. Here's the dilemma. <laughs> what, what, what happens is if I think God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy, then something must be wrong with either me or God, right? Either God is weak and ineffectual or, or not willing or something must be wrong with me if I'm then not happy. So it creates a massive tension in us. So let's ask the scriptures. We're going to walk around some scriptures today, what they say to us in terms of happiness. And uh, the first one I'm going to throw up here for you is, is from Psalms chapter 32. And it just says this, good people rejoice and be what? Happy in the Lord. Sing all you whose heart are right. I don't know if you fall in the good people category. I'm not judging. I'm going to assume you do. And I'm going to assume that you fall into the category that, that the psalmist is writing to you saying, hey, guys, that's what that phrase really means. Hey, guys, rejoice and be happy in the Lord and seeing all of you whose hearts are right. Clearly, the scriptures have some, the Bible clearly tells us to be happy. It's clearly in there. God's not anti-happy. If God were anti-happy, that would be really difficult to reconcile with scriptures that constantly encourage us to be happy. I think the problem is, is that we think that God wanting us to be happy somehow means that God would want us to be happy above all else as his highest priority. As if, as if our happiness could somehow become God's highest priority. And that is where the tension happens. The problem is, does God really want me to be happy above all else. So we're going to walk into this together, and uh, I'm going to jump us all, all around uh, in the scriptures today. And so um, I would say go somewhere and put your finger there, but we're going to be all around. But here's the problem. I think one of the big tensions in church world today, in followers of Christ today, in people who have experienced church world and said it didn't work out for me, is that somehow we get the thinking in us that because the scriptures encourage us to be happy because God says that we should be happy, that he must want happiness for us at all costs. And we make that leap. And so when we don't experience that, we now have to say, well, God let me down or it didn't work out for me. And that certainly isn't what's going on. So the tension is, if I believe that, then whatever makes me happy must be right. And whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. Do you see the leap there? If God wants me to be happy above all else, then if it makes me happy, it must be right. And if it makes me unhappy, it must be wrong. Now I can justify whatever behavior I want. Well, it makes me happy. Right? So it's okay if I do that. Here's my problem. What if punching you in the face makes me happy? I'm just saying. If punching you in the face makes me happy... Now God has a real dilemma on his hands. Whose happiness is more important? Unless pun getting punched in the face makes you happy, then maybe then we should you know, connect and there's a, there's a budding relationship that, that could happen there. But, but, but if that isn't the case, then we have a new pressure point. So you can see how the tension 
begins to get in there. And we can walk through things that you would understand. I mean, it'd be easy to look at the scriptures and say, well, you know, I know the Bible says that sex is for marriage and that it's the most intimate relationship that can happen in marriage, but it makes me happy. So I'm gonna go ahead and explore that in other avenues. And you see the tension that begins to walk in there. Or how about this? Any entertainment that makes me happy must be okay with God. So that thing I shouldn't watch or listen to or whatever it is, but it makes me happy. So it must be okay with God. Well, of course, that begins to create a tension in us that can't not be true or reconciled. But the problem is if God wants me happy above all else, then how do I deal with problems or discomfort or suffering? If God wants me happy above all else, then how, how come I've experienced obstacles? How come I've experienced pain? All adversity must not be God's will. If I have a financial struggle, I must be out of God's will. That can't be God's will. If I have a health problem, it must be out of God's will. If I have, if I have a conflict with a person, it must be out of God's will. Yet we see time and time again in scripture, relationships uh, of people's lives in here, time and time again, they experience conflict. And oftentimes that conflict was part of God's will. So this tension of the scripture saying that we should be happy, but then we say, well, how can that reconcile? The real world just simply doesn't work that way. What's funny is if I believe God wants me to be happy above all else, I inadvertently begin to worship happiness and idols and things that make me happy. I inadvertently begin to worship. And so I take my worship away from God and his character. And I say, if I am going to be happy, come on now. I turn on late night TV and it's like, well, this will make me happy. I need that. And I buy it and I try to get happy. And I say, oh, this, this will make me happy and I'll get that. And I try to, make, try to get it to make me happy. And, and everything I think might make me happy, I begin to give my worship to. If I believe that that's God's plan. And then I begin trying to manipulate God. Because if God's role is to make me happy, then all I need to do, come on now, is, is deposit the right coins into my God account so that happiness comes out. So God wants me to be happy, so I have to get right with God because he wants me to be happy, so he'll give me then what I want. So here's my strategy, right? My strategy will be I'll go to church every week for four weeks in a row. Come on, I'll even write a check, right? And at the end of that, God will give me the thing I want because God wants me to be happy. Now, as I say that out loud, you go, oh, well, that seems ludicrous, but it gets inside our core. We start to believe that somehow God is responsible for our happiness. So as long as we have deposited enough into our God account, we should have an expectation of return. And all of a sudden we're in a quid pro quo manipulation relationship with God. And the creator of the universe somehow is at our beck and call. Come on now, we've, dis, we've disempowered God and we say, this is how you work. You do this in response to me doing this. And here's what happens. We have a major need. I went to church for four weeks. They anointed me with oil. I wrote a check and I didn't get cured of cancer. This thing doesn't work for me. And we have disaffected people who have abandoned a faith in the creator of the universe because they believed that somehow their happiness 
would have been God's highest calling. Do you see the tension there? That's where this takes us. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the times when God certainly would not want us to be happy. He certainly wouldn't want us to be happy if in order to be happy would cause us to do something that was dangerous, sinful, or outside of his will, right? But it makes me happy. Okay, well, it wasn't wise. And the consequences didn't make it, but the moment made me happy. Here's an easy example. I remember when I learned how to skateboard. I can't skateboard now, so I guess learned is an interesting word. When I attempted to learn, full disclosure, how to skateboard, I was at my cousin's house. And she lived on this very level street that was attached to a very steep hill, right? And so we're outside and my older cousin had a skateboard and I was playing with my younger cousin and she was like, oh, you should ride your older cousin's skateboard. I'm like, oh, cool, you know, I'll do that. So I'm out on the skateboard. Now we'd been swimming because it's, you know, fun outside, you know, just in like a kid pool or whatever and running around. So I have swim trunks on and that's it. This is my first experience with a skateboard, right? I got no shirt, no shoes, nothing like that on. But I'm on this level street or whatever. So I hop on. Now you got to remember this is a long time ago. And so the 90s skateboards were like wider. And, you know, they were, they were just, they looked more like surfboards with wheels than, you know, kind of the cooler ones are now that they just have a different shape. And so this is pre-Tony Hawk video games and stuff before we all wanted the same kind of skateboard that he had. So I just got this, you know, whatever skateboard, Kmart special. And I'm on this bad boy and I'm just kind of, you know, kind of hovering down the street, down the street. And I'm just working my way to the corner of the street. And then I see the hill and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And so I lean back. And I got to tell you, I've got no shoes on. I've got no shirt on. I got swim trunks on and I don't know what I'm doing on this thing. I lean back into this thing. Now I'm coordinated, right? I'm as coordinated as the next guy at least, right? And so I start coming down this hill and I'm like, dude, this is awesome, right? The wind's kind of going, it's rattling a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm handling it pretty nicely, you know? And we're like booking. And, and there is a moment of pure bliss as the speed and exhilaration hits. And I mean, there is no way that a little bit of a woohoo didn't come out of me, right? Like this is awesome. And we're, and we're just picking up speed and the things start to wobble a little bit more. And I'm like, ah, oh, but this is, I got it. You know, I'm like, this is cool, this is cool. And then I, I, I haven't even looked at the bottom of the hill. There's a relatively busy street at the bottom of this hill. I, I'm a kid, I don't have not self-spatial awareness isn't like an important piece of my life, right? Where were our parents to watch us? No one is paying attention to what I'm doing out here, right? I'm just out on the bottom and I am booking now on this hill. And it's like, I mean, those wheels are just, you know, the little weak ball bearings that are in there from Kmart are just like literally starting to just mm, hum and they're like turning red and heat's coming out of them. I mean, it's, it's just intense as we're rolling. And I have this moment where I realize I'm going to have to bail and I have no shoes on. I don't, I've never stopped a skateboard before in any way, right? I'm just like, I'm going to have to bail. And my, in my kid brain, all I could think of was protect your face, right? And so, so I jump off the skateboard and I'm just like this, protect my face. And I hit the ground and I surfed and just shred. I'm like, I, it's the kind of road rash that you like, you know, if we were taking pictures and doing Facebook stuff, it would be a meme. I was just, it was like, it was just this horrific, I'm in the hospital, you know, they're making sure I just didn't die out there. It was just bloody and gross. And it was horrific. That is a picture sometimes of us chasing happiness though, right? We're like, I'm so happy, woo! 
And no regard for the end result of that happiness. God certainly wouldn't encourage us to a place of happiness where the end result of that happiness, come on now, would be devastation for our lives. And I think sometimes we get frustrated by the word happy because we don't really know how to define it. And we know in, in some sense that there's a difference between happiness and joy. And many of you have maybe heard even sermons about this distinction between happiness and joy and their superficial kind of uh, just relational happiness, like the kind of happiness when someone says, oh, here, hold my puppy. And you're like, oh, it makes me so happy, right? And there's like a moment and you're like, oh, this is like, oh, puppy kisses. And you're just like, oh, it's awesome, right? And, it, and it's awesome. And then you put it down and you're like, oh, that was happiness, right? And that, that's great. We love happiness. That's fun. And then there's like the deep, deep, deep joy, like you know, you're, the, the first time your kid gets a, gets a hit in the game, you're, like, you're like, yes. No, maybe that's for me. I don't know what your deep joy is, right? <laughs> There's like a deep, deep seed of joy of just knowing that the creator of the universe loves you and that you're okay right? And we know that there's a distinction there. So it would be easy to go into the scripture and just say, well, this means happiness and this means joy. And this is what God means here. And so here's the dilemma with that is the scripture does the same thing that we do and uses the same words for superficial, emotional excitement and happiness as it does for deep seated, rooted joy. It does the same thing. And so because it does the same thing, we can't just say that God never wants us to be happy. We have to clarify in each and every circumstance what this particular author, when they say God wants us to be happy, means. And so what I want to do for us is I want us to look at a couple different perspectives of different authors in the scripture talking about happiness. And we're just going to kind of break that out. And we're going to look for the common theme that God really wants us to pull from his word in terms of happiness. And so the first person's perspective I want you to get is a guy named Peter. And so in 1 Peter, the scripture tells us, 1 Peter 1.15, be, be happy just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all you do. Some of you are looking at me crazy. It's because I made that up. That's not true. That's not in the scriptures at all. <laughs> that's not what Peter says. Let's see what Peter actually says. We just think that that's in there, right? It's not. <laughs> so uh, that's not what the scripture actually says. So what he actually says is, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And here's the verse. But just as he who called you is holy, come on now, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. Leave that up there for a second. That's very different than be happy as he who called you is to be happy, Right? You're like, Pastor Mike, that was a mean trick. You told me not to get my Bible out and to just believe what you put on the screen. Don't ever do that. You should always get your Bible out. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> but what is Peter's comment here? His comment here is don't conform just to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. He said, don't let your measurements of what is and isn't okay and what you do and what you don't want be measured by the kind of desires that lived in you before you had a relationship with God. Because here's the thing, when he says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy, what is holiness? Holiness means set apart for relationship to, right? So he's saying, be set apart for relationship to God. Don't be swayed only by your desires, but instead be set apart from that and be committed first to your relationship with God. That was Peter's take on that. 
Let's see how John says it. First John chapter two, John's late in his life. I won't trick you again. I, I believe, you know, this is what the scripture says. And so <laughs> that was just, you know, fun. I had to do it. Um, <laughs> so John says it this way. First John chapter two, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in them. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. John says, don't attach your heart to worldly stuff. Now, does that mean worldly stuff's bad? Not at all. He says, just don't, get that, don't let that be the measure of your happiness. Don't let that be the measure of your joy. Because if that's the measure of your happiness and that's the measure of your joy, it's gonna pass away. It's not gonna last. Eventually you have so much chocolate cake that you can't appreciate the chocolate milk, right? That will pass away. You'll lose, come on, the heart of what God actually has for you. Instead, John says, the will of God is what lives forever. John wants us to catch that. Let's talk about Paul. We always talk about Paul. I love that guy. He drives me crazy. Second Corinthians chapter six. I don't know if we have this one in there. Do we have this one? No, okay. So Paul says it this way, chapter six, verse 10. He says, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I'm poor, yet I'm making many rich. I have nothing, yet I possess everything. Paul understands that my joy is not connected to my possessions. My joy is not connected to worldly things. My joy and my happiness is connected to what I'm able to produce in the lives of others because of what God has done in me. He says, that's the kind of authentic happiness that God's called us to live. If God's in control, then in any situation, just like we talked about being anchored, I can't, I might experience sorrow, but I'll only drift but so far. I might experience pain, but it'll only take me but so far away from the promise and the truth of God. Paul says, I've been sorrowful. Because let's face it, if we think God's highest goal for us is happiness, then how can Isaiah tell us that Jesus was a man of sorrows? How could, how, could, how could that be true? How could he look at the cross, though, and then say, but for the joy set before him? The psalmist tells us this in Psalm 97. We think it's David, but we're not sure. He says, may all who are godly be happy in the Lord and crown him our holy God. We've looked at some of that. Happiness comes from being in the Lord and lifting God up. And I love this. This is Solomon's understanding in Ecclesiastes. This is, a, this is one of those passages of scriptures that kind of carries me through tough decisions sometimes. So this is one from Pastor Mike's like private journal that I'm gonna deposit out for you guys that you guys can appreciate this. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And it says this, it says, hey, be happy while you're young. Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived on the earth says, don't deny yourself happiness, be happy, experience happiness. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Uh-oh, here we go. But remember, but remember in all these things that God will bring you into judgment. Just says, hey, be happy and enjoy what God has provided you with. Don't feel guilty about enjoying this life that God's provided you for. You have the entire, you're blessed to be happy. He does desire to bless you. Of course he wants you to be happy, but don't let the pursuit of that happiness take you away from an understanding. Come on now that God's still paying attention, that I don't get to experience that happiness outside and like somehow shut off my relationship with God. 
See, what happens with this passage, that when this passage breaks down in our life, this is how we have the conversations that we had. Come on, you've had this with a friend. I've had this as a pastor, but you've had this with a friend. We were in a marriage, and I just wasn't happy. They just didn't make me happy anymore. We just didn't make each other happy. Because happiness must be God's will, I had to get out of that marriage. I know the vows I took said, in for better or worse. But I wasn't happy. Now listen, I'm not speaking condemnation to those of you that have gone through horrific and horrible stuff. But you know, God's highest value for your life was certainly not that you would just be happy. So be happy. Just understand that that has to still stay in context of relationship to God and his plan for you. You know, I've done, <laughs> I've, I've done back when my schedule allowed it, I've done counseling and, and I'm not a counselor, so that's just not a good recipe for success. But I've sat down, I've sat down with young couples because you do youth ministry long enough and those kids grow up and want to get married. That's what kind of happens. I've done that. And I've sat down with, I mean, just kids, you know. I was a kid when I got married, so it's true. But just kids, I can say it, that's fine. And, and we've talked about, and, and we talk about just situations that could come up where there would be tension. And to just watch them say, oh, we never will fight. Well, no, we don't fight. And I'm just like, oh, you're not ready. Go fight a lot and then come back and talk to me, like, right? <laughs> Please, just go fight a lot and come back because you aren't ready yet. <laughs> Not that everyone should fight, but you know what I'm trying to say. And this sense of, we're just so happy. And it's like, well, yeah, but, but, but that emotional response you're having right now, it's not what sustains a marriage. Come on. The choice you made when you stood before God and you stood before witnesses and you said, I'm making a decision and here's my, here's my vow. That's... That's what, all right, I'm going to get preaching on marriage. That's not, that's, not, that's not what I'm trying to talk about. But let's go. You, you know what I'm talking about. What happened to us when we thought everything was about happiness is we run away from anything that makes us feel unhappy. So here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes a guy will stand in front of you like, like me with a microphone and say, what God doesn't want is happiness. He wants your obedience. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm going to tell you time and time again, the scriptures tell us to be happy. So obedience to God does require experiencing some happiness. I'm not trying to steal and siphon off the happiness of your life. I'm simply trying to tell you, if you think and you take that thinking to its extreme, that absolute happiness is God's absolute goal for my life, you just miss the heart of God. Peter said it best, his goal for our life isn't happiness, it's holiness. And holiness is relationship to him. The Bible all over the self, all over the place talks about it. I mean, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, Psalm 32. Rejoice in the Lord, Philippians 3, 1. Rejoice also, always, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Do your acts of mercy with cheerfulness, Romans 12, 8. Serve the Lord with gladness, Psalm 102. So it's misleading to assume that God doesn't want you to be happy. happy. This book is filled with, with information encouraging us to experience happiness. God certainly does want us to be happy. He simply doesn't want us to pursue happiness over a relationship of holiness and with him. It's just not the highest value. You know, we walked through uh, a bunch of other people. What does Jesus say about happiness? In John uh, chapter 17, he's 
praying with his disciples and he's letting them know that he is on his way to heaven. And they're trying to understand what that means. And he says in John chapter 17, verse 13, he says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that you may have the full measure of my joy with them. He wants us to be happy. But look at the next sentence. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they're not worthy of the world any more than I am of the world. In back-to-back sentences, he says, I want you to have the full measure of my joy because you have my word, but now that you have my word, you're gonna be hated. You see his comfortability with us experiencing both things simultaneously? The full measure of joy because we're submitted to him and have a relationship with him and experiencing hatred of others. And he's like, you can live in that tension. You can live in that balance. <laughs> my, one of my, this is another from the, from the pocket of Pastor Mike, so I'm giving you some free ones today because we're all over the place. Um, Matthew chapter five. This passage of scripture got me through high school. It really did. When I started following Christ, Matthew chapter five, verse 11. This is the thing I wrote down and I kept in my wallet because I had to pull it out from time to time to remember this. <clears throat> and it was this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Now stop right there. Seriously, Jesus? When, when everyone's talking smack, come on. When everyone's attacking, when everyone's in aggressive mode, your response to me is you want me to rejoice and be glad. Now look at why. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What does Jesus tell these people, these these people who become followers, who eventually take on the mantle of Christian, the Sermon on the Mount, his, his, his campaign speech of a life that follows him. He says, be aware that people are gonna talk smack because of your faith. People are gonna be critical. People are gonna insult you. People are, you're gonna stand up for what you believe God put into your heart and you're gonna take heat for it. And rejoice and be glad when that happens. And this is what I love. I love that he throws in, great is your reward in heaven. Because he knows guys like me need to hear, like, dude, is this worth it? (laughs) Right? I feel like that's just in there for me. I don't know if that motivates you or whatever. But I have to know at some level in the core that there's just a a general sense of God's, like, like, covering this whole thing. And he's like, don't worry about the haters. Because when the hate comes, the treasure pile in your heaven, right? Experience. The reward in heaven is actually exponentially growing with that and that you're in good company because that's exactly how they've treated every person that came and declared the truth of God. And I was like, oh. So here's me in high school. I'm 16 years old. I'm all in on this Jesus thing. I've given my heart to the Lord. And I'm just not the same guy I was when I was kind of 14, 15 and rowdy and, and running around. I still have the great same circle of friends, but I'm not the same guy. So things are happening as you hit, you know, people are getting cars and things and, and people are getting rowdier and now you have more access to do crazier things. And I'm getting invitations to partake in things that are progressively, come on, I'm not the only one who went to high school, progressively worse and worse. And I'm turning them down. And, and, you know, with the, by the grace of God, I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, right? And, and, and I'm not doing it. So all of a sudden, here comes some criticism. And I went from, all right, we, we all go through the gamut. I went from nerdy kid, come on now, to wannabe gangster, 
to Jock, and I was living in Jock World doing really, really well, and I got a new moniker. I'm going to be transparent with you guys, and you're gonna, you can punk me all you want. That's fine. I went from Jock to Church Muffin. <laughs> I don't know who coined the phrase, but it was a good one. Because you want to see the temperature go up, right? Look at a man. Come on, I'm a man. 16, I'm a man. And say, oh, you're not going to come out and hang out with us? <laughs> church muffin. <laughs> right? And you know what church muffin wants to do? Grab you by the chest, pin you up against the lockers and say, call me that one more time. But there's this new nature in me that's trying to come out. And there's a war. The two dogs are fighting. Come on. And which dog's going to win? The one you feed. I'm trying to feed the right dog. And I'm smiling at guys that I know I can take. I'll take all of them at once. And I'm hearing this criticism. Come on, church muffin. Why don't you, don't, church, you know? And I, and I remember just thinking, God, and this is where God directed me to the scripture. I said, God, thank you so much that I'm in rare company. And someday, I'm 16. My 16-year-old brain is trying to get this. Someday, when they're, when they're crashing and burning and they're looking for hope and life, I hope the fact that I stood for you points them towards hope. So I'm not a big enough man to like, you know, share the gospel with him right now because I'm going to punch him in the face. But I'll take the church muffin mantle and I'll wear it. Come on now. I'll wear it as a badge of honor. And come on, you face that. Let's not pretend that was like a, only a high school thing. You face that. You face that in your social circle. Come on, didn't you want to read this book, this inappropriate shades of inappropriateness with all of us, right? Come on. Oh, a lot of eye contact got diverted right there. Everybody looked at somebody though. That was amazing, right? Come on. Don't you want to do whatever this other thing is that everybody else, I, I'm just telling you. And at some point you've had to make a decision. Sure, that might make me happy. Sure, that might make me accepted. Sure, that might make me, but that, the end result of that is taking me outside of the will of God. So why would I entertain and engage that? Why would I go there? And so, yeah, the consequence might be I take some heat. The consequence might be I take some criticism. The consequence might be that others think less of me. But I can have joy amongst that kind of criticism. Why? Because I'm standing in relationship holiness as set apart for God. That's how I live in the tension. God's ultimate plan for me is joy and happiness. It's the kind that only can be experienced in relationship with him. You know, Max Lucado had an illustration that I'm going to steal and manipulate. And it's brilliant. And he talked about this idea that if you take a fish, come on now, and you take it out of the water and you throw it on the land, all right, that thing is in distress, I'm not a fisherman. I thought about actually getting a fish today and throwing it out and seeing how you guys handled the real life illustration, but my lack of fisherman skills, I probably would still be trying to catch it in there. That's all you would remember. But if I took a fish, come on now, and I threw it out of the water and I threw it onto the land, that thing's in distress. Why? Because it was made for the water. Now I could go to that fish and I could say, guess what? I got a pretty lady fish. I'm gonna set her right next to you. They're going to flap around right next to each other. It might be the ultimate desire of that fish, this new pretty lady fish I brought in. But guess what? It's not experiencing any joy. 
It's flapping around on land. I might come over to it and say, you know what I got? I got these shiny diamonds that I'm going to glue to you. You're going to be the sparkliest fish in the ocean. I'm going to glue them onto you, put them on there. And now he's got bling and he's flopping around on the land. I haven't increased his happiness. I haven't. Why? Because he was designed for the water. I can bring, come on now. I can bring millions of dollars and just make it rain on that fish. And at the end of the day, he certainly, yeah, he certainly has not increased his happiness. Why? Because he was made for the water. Let me bring it home. You and I were made for relationship to Jesus. And apart from that relationship, all of the externals that we think will bring us happiness and joy are just empty and shallow and unsatisfying. And the scriptural mandate isn't that God doesn't want us to be happy. He certainly does. He wants us to find that happiness in relationship to him. And it's not that we'll never experience, come on, sorrow, because we certainly will. He did. It's that in the midst of that sorrow, we hold on to the joy we have because of the promises that come from him. That is how happiness works. So yes, it is true that God wants us to be happy. What is not true is he does not want us to pursue happiness at the expense of relationship with him. And there is a happiness only to be attained on the other side of eternity. And it's for us and it's for you.